You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. everybody this is victoria your dog guru and today we are talking about dog wellness i think there are really a lot of layers to owning a dog that people don't perhaps consider you know they think about the puppy and perhaps you even think about the adolescent stage even adulthood but you're not thinking senior stuff you're not thinking in between stages when they have like those awkward phases Um, or transitional behaviors that they'll do. So we're going to talk about an all-encompassing episode of what, in my opinion, can really help your dog live a full, happy, and healthy life, which really is one of the biggest goals of this podcast. So today's episode, we're going to start at the top, which has a lot to do with diet. Diet, I used to drive home with my clients a lot, is crucial to the basis of your dog. You can't even really tackle behavior if you haven't evaluated diet. That's how relevant it is. Talking about overall health, obviously it would be relevant to that. Things like coat, um, you know, heading off things like lesions or um, skin allergies or allergic reactions, you know, there can be internal allergic reactions, um, inflammatory seizures, Uh, excessive itching that seems to be like a topical problem like the dog has fleas but really it's it's diet related a lot of problems that my clients would describe and deal with actually often came back to diet not entirely not behaviorally related but it definitely was (laughs) playing a, a large role in the behavior that my clients were seeing the things that they didn't like like excessive barking Um, you know, in those cases, those dogs were on high crude protein diets and the owners didn't even know that that would be a bad thing. They didn't know that one food, one kibble would be different from another or one style of feeding would be different from another. And so as far as what I recommend to feed, I'm not going to call out any specific brand names. I'm not making any cuts on any of this. I will say this though, there are things that you want to be leery of and aware of. So the first thing you want to be aware of is your crude protein level. I have seen uh, some bags of dog food upwards of like 36% crude protein. That is insane. To give you kind of a visual, um, to paint a picture for you of what that really does to a dog, (laughs) um, it's like giving them a two liter bottle of soda. It's a lot for their, their, I mean, crude protein, as it processes through their system, I'm gonna be honest, breaks down a lot like sugar. So you're basically giving your dog a crap ton of sugar and you don't wanna do that because there's nowhere, they're not, they're probably just chilling on the couch while you're gone at work, I'm assuming. Even if you work from home, you are working from home. So with that in mind, your dog isn't getting full run of, you know, like eight mile runs throughout the day. Well, if he's not, you're not, I promise you, you're not going to need 
that high of a crude protein level. That's for like a wilderness dog. <laughs> I can't even think of a context in which you would need that high of a crude protein level. So really ideally, and it does depend on breed and it depends on the structure of your dogs. So it's like small breeds need, they have different um, crude protein needs than say a large dog that would need a higher crude protein level to support um, proper muscle and bone development, um, really to help keep their glucose levels stable so that they don't have seizures as they're growing or um, neurological problems that can come from drops in sugar. So, you know, with all of that in mind, my, my ideal is nothing over ideally 21%, but I think more realistically, you're looking around 23%. Most brands, especially I, I periodically go through all of the go-to dog brands and the ones, I'll say this, there's a difference between the go-to dog brands and then the ones that are heavily advertised and available on the market. I, I If I'm being completely honest and transparent, those are completely different markets. So let's talk about what you need to avoid. What ingredients do you need to just stay away from altogether? What's bad for any dog, every dog? Well, the truth of the matter is, is there is no cut and dry answer. If you have a senior dog, they're gonna have different, you know, nutritional needs than that of a puppy. And a puppy's gonna need different they're gonna have different nutritional needs to that of an adult dog who definitely doesn't need all the extra crude protein and, you know, but each dog is different. And, you know, if they're a mix or they're a specific breed, those breeds have specific needs. So speaking honestly, I that's why I would never recommend a specific food because every case is different and every dog is different. But speaking generally about things that I look for when I'm looking at a dog food label, okay, if I'm looking at a bag of dog food, this is what I'm looking at. Does it have BHA or BHT? You can see these in a lot of, um, they're, first of all, what they are, are preservatives. However, notably, the Department of Health and Human Services classifies this preservative is reasonably anticipated to be a human carcinogen. And animal studies have proven that the ingredient can cause cancer in rats, mice, and hamsters for stomachs. But when it comes to the health of my dogs, I put a lot of extra thought into it. Not that I don't care about what I feed my family or myself, I do. But I've seen dogs with good nutritional diets live so much longer. They're vibrant, their coats are shiny and lustrous. They have a lot more life in them at a much later age. They don't have the same issues that a lot of dogs have with joint problems. They don't have issues with tumors showing up and skin diseases developing or um, just nasty things that can happen intestinally over time with bad food. So, you know, for me, that's why it's important. I've seen both sides of the fence. I try and feed my dogs the best thing I can. It is not the best food on the planet. I'm gonna be honest. It is not the best food on the planet. I can't afford the best food on the planet. Um, at least not until this show really <laughs> starts turning around and uh, 
and pulling it in for me. But until then, I mean, honestly, I want my dogs to be on a stable diet. I want them to be on a consistent diet. I had a client a long time ago and she told me in our consult that she changed the dog's food every time they went to the store. And she couldn't understand why the dog was always getting sick and always was neurotic and had all these sorts of behavioral problems. I was like, she needs to be on one food. And she was like, that doesn't make any sense. And I said, well, you're not feeding raw. I said, so she really needs to be on one kibble. You can't change brands and types of food. I mean, she was feeding fish one week and turkey another week and bison one week. And like, it, it was all over the map. I mean, there was no consistency for the dog's system to adjust. So she was just constant, her system was like constantly in a state of shock. I'm not really, that's not funny. Um, but so I told her to keep the dog on a st stable diet of a food that I recommended to her privately. And within about, I told her, I, was, I said, it's gonna take about, oh, three weeks. Let's give it a full three weeks. She said she noticed a difference in two. The dog stopped hiding all over the place. A lot of her neurotic behavior started dying down because she didn't have the high crude protein level. And it wasn't, there, it wasn't like a storm of food just stirring up in her system. You know, the way her owner had rationalized it, she thought to herself, okay, well, every time I give her something different, whatever she ate before is already out of her system. Well, the reality is, is your dog needs a similar diet when it comes to kibble. When you change brands, they have different ingredients, they have different additives. The list goes on with the differences. And so while they mo both may say beef, they're not at all the same. And on that note, if you see anything that says meat, beef, things like that, or all meat or savory meat, things like that. Okay, that doesn't describe what's in there. You need descriptive works. You, you don't want animal byproducts. You definitely want to make sure that the sodium levels are not high. For me, that varies on the dog as well, but I, I always go low sodium. I, I use a lot of the time fish-based proteins for that reason because there's, it's just lower sodium than some of the other foods. And, and they do have, you know, fish kibbles. It doesn't make their breath smell fantastic. I'm going to be honest, but it helps stabilize their system. And for dogs that have more sensitive stomachs, I like it for them. The next thing you want to avoid are food dyes. Food dyes are found in pretty much all bargain brand dog foods you'll find. If you're looking at something that looks visually appealing to you, it's probably got food dye in it but you need to start turning your bags over and taking a look. And if it does have food dye, move on. You don't want food dye. It can cause all sorts of problems down the road. What we have on record with regard to food dye are allergic reactions. So if your dog is ingesting something that we know can cause allergic reactions and is found in a myriad of dog foods out on the market. In fact, if you look in your grocery store, you'll be hard pressed to find one that does not have food dye in it, cat food too. When you think about food dye, long-term, if, if your dog is having an allergic reaction to it, it's going to be a consistent problem if the next food you get has that same food dye in it. So I try and stay away from food dye altogether. You hear a lot of people go, you need to stay grain-free. Well, it really depends on the diet you're feeding because if you're doing raw food, there are certain grains that they gain nutrients from that they need. 
Um, but they are specific ones and it's a very regimented diet if you're properly doing raw food. I will say raw fed felt, fed, raw, raw food fed dogs are some of the best boned, healthiest, cleanest, just the muscle is great. You, you can tell that they're extremely healthy dogs. It is not something that everybody can afford. Feeding raw is not cheap. Uh, I've learned recently that there are co-ops for things like this and I'm, I've recently looked into feeding raw myself. I've done it in the past, but it's been a long time and there have been a lot of supplements that have come on the market and things like that to help really make sure that you're filling in the blanks of the diet and you're only giving them truly what they need. And now they even have charts of what to look out for and things like that. So it's great, very inclusive. Uh, so, but speaking for the everyman who's going to go out tonight and pick up a bag of dog food, if you are going to a pet store to pick it up, go and flip the bag over, see if there are dyes, check the crude protein level. Does it have BHA or BHT? What are the sodium levels? Because you want them to be extremely low. One lesser known uh, thing that I try and stay away from is anything with cellulose in it. It's marketed as a source of fiber, but what it really is is plant fiber and you don't want your dog ingesting it. It actually isn't something that they can digest. So while they can pass it, they're not actually digesting it. And not to be crude, but in reality, just because your dog swallows it and it gets through to the other end doesn't mean that they got anything beneficial out of it. So be mindful. One you might be surprised to hear that can be problematic is actually canola oil. Uh, for horses, this is kind of common practice or somewhat common practice to give this to them occasionally. Um, but there, and there are other kinds of oils out there that people give, but it can cause inflammation, which while it might not be a problem initially, long-term it can be. So just keep all of that in mind. Speaking about, you know, giving your dogs treats, I always got the question, okay, what kind of treats should I use? Can I use human food? Honestly, that's a personal choice. That's a discussion for you to have with your vet first. Most vets will advise against it. Um, it depends on if your dog is already intolerant to other things. Like if they have food allergies with the foods that you're already feeding, it's probably not a great idea to expose them to more, more strange foods that they could have reactions to. Um, there are some specific things to stay away from. Grapes can be toxic. Uh, I say stay away from nuts in general, not peanut butter, but nuts. Um, uh, soy, cheese can actually be toxic. Dairy in general, really. Um, now, little bits of cheese, I can tell you right now, I've given little bits of cheese to my dog. I, many clients in the years past have used cheese for training hasn't harmed the dog to my knowledge. Okay, so that leads me to feeding time. Some people will leave food down all day long and they'll let their dog come and go as they please. And while on the surface, they may think that this is a great idea. I'm gonna tell you as a trainer and as somebody who focused a lot on behavior, it can cause behavioral problems. Because when a dog, in my experience, when a dog picks and chooses when they can eat, 
They also feel like they have the leverage on everything else and they will pick and choose when they listen. This has been my experience. Um, so I recommend for small breeds or puppies feeding three times a day. If you're not available, um, obviously twice a day is only possible or having somebody come and feed halfway through the day might also be an option for you. But all of that said, you know, feeding time needs to be a process. Your dog needs to be sitting and relaxed and waiting patiently. That food needs to enter the room, put, be put on the floor in front of your dog, whether it's in a crate or in a room or wherever you feed your dog, in the kitchen, wherever. Um, and then you need to put it down on the floor. All of this needs to be a very calm process. The dog should not be wiggling and jiggling around. And then you should be able to release your dog, indicate that they can have the food, leave them to eating all on their own and enjoying that process. But that should be the process. It should look like that every time you feed them. Um, I always say if a dog doesn't know that there's any sort of urgency to eating, you never know immediately if they're ill. If they know that they can passively eat and one of the strongest indicators of a dog being ill is rejection of food, not in every case, but in many cases, then you're missing one of your, indi your indicators. For dogs that are kind of passive eaters or for a long time you've just let them graze, while generally that can be fine, and if you don't have behavioral problems, that probably is fine, I recommend feeding once or twice a day using about a 15 to 20 minute window. And within that window, you wanna go ahead and you know give them an opportunity to eat, digest a little bit. After about 20 minutes, pick the food up. Now, at first, they're gonna think that you're just gonna put it back down in a minute or they may seem confused, but you need to make no event of it, just no big deal of it, just pick it up. You can add it to the next meal if you're feeling guilty, especially if you're actively training your puppy or your dog, you're giving them treats. You're probably gonna feel guilty throughout the day and offer them something to snack on. So don't let them make you feel bad because you picked up the food because they didn't finish all of it. They will not starve between now and dinner or dinner and breakfast. Once your dog is digested and you let them outside, that is the process. That's the potty training process. Whether you have a tiny dog or a big dog or an old dog or a young dog, that's the process. As far as chew toys, I feel like this, uh, chew items, it doesn't even have to be a toy, chew items. You've heard me talk a lot about the Kong toy. It's one of the only things that I, without making a single cent, will forever endorse. I love Kong toys. There's so many uses for them. Uh, they can be used for training. They can be used for stimulation. They can be used for nervous dogs. They can be used for depressed dogs. There's just so many layers. And they're just, they're even for balanced dogs, they like them, they, they have value. Aside from the Kong toy, I like to recommend marrow bones. If you go to your butcher counter and ask for soup bones, like beef bones or marrow bones, they will sh either pull them out of a freezer for you or show you where they are, the fridge bin. It depends on the time of year you're asking. I don't buy s general bones. Like I don't go to a pet store and pick up bones. I never do that. I avoid rawhide and I'll explain why in a second. But generally I don't like, first of all, paying sticker price. And the other thing is I like them fresh. 
So I'll give one of my dogs, I, I prefer if they're, you know, cold or frozen, and then I'll put them in my freezer when I get home. And I'll serve them to the dog just like that. I never do it unattended, especially with a new dog or a dog that hasn't ever had it before. But for my, my dogs, this is old hat now. I can give it to them, they'll go to their separate places and chew on their bones, hollow them out. I've never seen them stain. I really like them. They're cheap um, and nobody specifically makes them. They're just, you're a butcher. If you have a butcher locally, even better. I'm sure that you can get some great bones there, but the size matters. You don't wanna get small enough for your dog to swallow ever. It needs to be bigger than their mouth. So keep that in mind. So I mentioned rawhides. What I, I, my, I, my producer and I were talking about this the other day and she said, you know, I've heard such mixed opinions on if rawhides are okay, are they not okay? And so without her knowing it, that became my own mental question. No, they're not okay. I'm gonna take a strong stance on rawhides and I'll tell you why. I have a personal story and while this is not the every story, this was left a strong enough impression on me to lead to a lot of research and finding out that it's a common problem. So rawhides, when they're chewed on in small amounts, are really not that dangerous. They're not digested, they pass right through. But when your dog chews on it for a while and they're obsessively chewing on it and they're chewing on the whole thing, their saliva is being absorbed and not to get gross and to share all the gory details with you, but it gets a texture to it that makes it hard but flexible, which can clog their gastrointestinal tract. Worse, it gets stuck in their throat before it even makes it there. So now you're not even worried about an obstruction, which is a problem enough, which is something else that can happen. But now you're, you can't pull it out and you can't get the dog to swallow it down. You really don't want the dog to swallow it down. It's a disaster situation. I say all of this because personally, when I had a dog, I was a new, I was, I'll say this, I was a new dog owner. I, like many listeners, didn't know anything about owning a dog. You know, I was just excited and I thought, oh, rawhides, like they'll, he'll love this. Well, yeah, he did love it. I'm not gonna lie, he did love it, but he almost died one time while chewing on it. And it wasn't that I wasn't right there, thank God I was, but it was because of how, it's just not material you want your dog to be chewing on. It's not safe. It's to me no safer than them chewing on flooring or a rug. You wouldn't want them to ingest that, which actually leads to my next thing. Um, dogs do need to chew. They need an outlet for that. You don't need to buy, you know, a specific brand of products for your dog to chew on. You can go pick up the soup uh, slash bone marrow, beef bones. They call them all sorts of things. I'm trying to give you all the titles that they've gone under. That's really what you need. And I used to have a bunch of them. I used them for client dogs with the client's permission, always with supervision. I use them for my dogs and they last forever. Then you can put peanut butter in them after the fact. So for me, it was economical and it was safer. They don't splinter. Uh, I've never seen a dog have problems with it, knock on wood. And so I still recommend them. I feel comfortable recommending them, but do heed my warning. It needs to be big enough for your dog to chew on 
but not small enough that your dog could actually try and swallow it, okay? Overall dog wellness to me has many layers, like I mentioned earlier. So when we're talking about wellness, that includes exercise. Now, different breeds need varied amounts of exercise. A Vishla, for example, will need significantly more exercise and physical stimulation than say an old English bulldog who will, you know, one John around the block is gonna be plenty enough for him. Now, when puppies are young, they need lots of exercise, but they also need a lot of exposure. So for puppies, there's a lot of reasons why they need to get out and about. When it comes to exposure though, that has to happen in your home as well. When it comes to having guests, I think one of the number one calls I would get is every time my guests come over, the dogs go crazy. So if that's happening at your home, and I can definitely sympathize with you, if it does, then that's another thing that you definitely want to address and desensitize them to as much as possible. Make sure you have protocols in place, make sure you have a designated space for the dog to be, that you have some basic obedience cues so that when people come over, you can ask the dogs to you know, go lay down or do something alternatively to jumping all over your guests. You know, dog people generally don't seem to care, but then it depends, because like some people only like small dogs. They love dogs, but they only like small dogs. I think if your dog is at all antisocial, having every time a guest come over, toss a treat in your dog's direction and have there be no discussion, no further conversation, no further interaction between them and your dog, your dog's all of a sudden not gonna hate strangers so much. So that's, that's something that I would do. And I, I had to do that with one client's dog. He was so volatile that I couldn't even get through the house. In fact, we did our consult on the phone. And then, you know, I kind of directed her on the phone. This all sounds ridiculous when I'm reflecting on it, but on the phone, I was kind of walking her through what she needed to do with her dog and that she needs her to have her dog on a leash and a collar and have some treats ready and then leave some treats before I came out front at the front door so that I could pick them up, toss them, kind of dump them down when I entered uh, the doorway near the dog, but I also made it clear that I wanted the dog at least five feet away from where I, where I was gonna have to walk. I don't wanna get bit in the process. The dog was already pretty clear that he didn't like strangers. And you know, within a couple, once I got through the first time, I just occasionally would say the dog's name and toss treats in his direction. I wouldn't actually turn in his direction. I wouldn't ask him to do anything. I wouldn't make eye contact. I just would, he would hear his name and then see treats and he knew who was throwing them. So we did that for a little while. And then after about 10, 15 minutes of her and I continuing a conversation, so we adjusted to my voice a bit. Then I went back outside and we repeated the process. But two things happened. The first thing that happened was the time that it took him to calm down before I came through the door had been cut in half, which was shocking because this dog was obsessively barking um, to the point where, like I said, I couldn't even do a home consult at first. And then within a couple of more practice sessions within the same visit, uh, we got to a point where he was still 
nervous. Like I could tell he was still worked up, but he was holding his position. He was able to calm down. He finally relaxed. He didn't wear himself out, but he did relax. And um, we had reached a milestone. She said she had never seen him do that before. And then the next week, he wasn't so leery of me coming over. And he was acutely aware of things like time, of day, what my car sounded like. She said he could tell that it was me who was coming over. And so then we had to generalize it. We had to practice that behavior with her neighbors, with her relatives, pretty much anybody who we could uh, get to agree to hear, <laughs> hear us out and come over and practice. Within a total of three visits and them practicing within each week with strangers and guests and things like that, the dog was like a completely different dog in three visits. He wasn't so unrecognizable that he could never that he could just stop being trained or that he didn't have any further to go. But people could walk in the door and it wasn't a huge event to him. He would like bark, then he would go to his place. He would then go lay down. He kind of knew the dynamic and what was expected of him and he calmed down a lot. But in that time, one of the things I had done already is adjusted his diet because he was on a high crude protein and I knew that was definitely adding to his motivation and how much energy he was throwing into his behaviors. So food for thought. Okay, now I wanna talk pet insurance. So there are several schools of thought when it comes to pet insurance. There are also different types of coverage. So Trupanion, I just wanna point out really quickly, they have a new program out. They're not giving me money to say this. I just happen to know about it. Um, they launched a program that can disperse funds directly to the vet the day of service. Normally you have to pay up front and then wait for the insurance company to reimburse you, whether the policy is through your employer or it's a private uh, policy that you have. But anyway, so this is something that's unique to them and that's why I'm pointing that out. Other insurance policies are pretty much, I mean, what they cover will vary, so ask them Make sure you get it in writing and you know exactly what is going to be covered. Some are only injury, like severe injury and illness. Um, none that I'm aware of cover pre-existing conditions. So if you have a documented illness on record with your pet, your cat, your dog, um, it won't be covered. So this is something that you would think about early on when your dog is young. Some also c cover things like wellness visits, um, standard vaccines, things like that. So something to consider. It's not for everybody. Um, re more recently, the there's been a rise in popularity in pet insurance, and that's kind of why I wanted to chat about it for a second, because for a lot of people, it makes sense. You know, I have <clears throat> a friend who mentioned to me, well, yeah, my dog is arthritic, but she wasn't when I got the pet insurance. So with the coverage that she has, it def it really helps with the regular visits that she has to have um, when she's having, I guess she gets regular injections. Uh, so it helps defray the cost there. And then also when she needs a refill on what's normally a very expensive medication, she has to pay it up front. Yeah, it's not great, but she gets reimbursed for it. So. Um, or a portion of it reimbursed. So think about all of that. 
And uh, there are lots of different websites out there. I know Geico offers it, Progressive offers it, so you don't actually have to be, like get it through your employer. You can get independent policies. Now, let's talk leading cause of death in dogs. What would you think it is? Would you think it's cancer? Would you think it's liver failure? Would you think it's accidental injury, like getting hit by a car or something like that, ingesting something that, that killed them? Actually, the leading cause of death in dogs in America is euthanasia. So think about that for a second. Euthanasia is a human administered end. So why is the leading cause of death in dogs, first of all, induced by us? Uh, and then that to me is a question with many answers, but here are a few to consider. So dogs who aren't trained develop behavior problems, sometimes aggressive behaviors, destructive behaviors, etc. But why do I link that to euthanasia? Well, the reason is if a dog becomes unpredictable in a family, aggressive in a neighborhood or around the neighborhood kids or during family gatherings or ingest something when they're destroying the TV remote or the walls, <laughs> you know, what started as just a behavior problem is now something that could either be deadly or result in the dog having to be put down. So, I mean, all the way down to ingesting something. If he eats something that he shouldn't, it can get stuck, which will often result in death, but it could also result in euthanasia because there's no way to save the dog. The dog goes into shock and needs to be put down. I'm not against euthanasia. Um, I feel like it's a very difficult decision for an owner to come to. I think when you are trying to round up reasons and timing when it comes to putting a dog down, if you haven't run into any of the causes that I just mentioned, then it's likely that you have a senior dog or a dog that's fallen ill and it's, it could be time to let go. I can tell you when I was working at the vet clinic, we had so many calls that came in with people who just got sick of their dogs and cats being senior animals. They didn't have behavior problems even, they were just old and they were really just tired of caring for them or they had lost interest in having these animals and they wanted us to put them down. And you know, you can't ethically put down an animal that isn't ill or isn't a risk to the community. So, you know, it was really sad to hear people call in and, or, you know, during a consult, they'd be like, yeah, we just don't like Charlie anymore. And it, it's like, you have to think big picture. Dogs, 10 to 12 years, sometimes upwards of 15 years, rare cases older than that. Cats, 12 to 15 years, you know, and then care has a lot to do with longevity. I'll, I'll be honest, you know, if you overfeed your animals, then they're not gonna live as long. You're taking years off their lives. If they're always stressed, they're taking years off of their lives. And you, by not training them and trying to change those behaviors, are allowing their lifespans to be shortened due to stress. Because just like with people, how it affects us negatively and can cause us to develop tumors and illnesses and just 
overall be fatigued and not feel well, that can happen to dogs too. So when you're talking about vitality, do I recommend any supplements? Yeah, I actually like one particular one called Dynavite. Um, there's also Best Osho, which I liked a lot. I don't give that one to my dog anymore. Um, there are a ton of different supplements out on the market. So you're gonna have to do your research. Just like with dog food, you wanna make sure that you know every ingredient and you've made sure and kind of cross-checked it with lists that are out there to make sure that it's not again anything that's toxic to the dog or could cause problems down the road for the dog for the sake of a shinier coat or you know thicker muscles. So please keep that in mind. But when you're talking about like a senior dog, glucosamine tablets can be very useful. Um, you know, they can help with joint, there, there are joint supplements specifically that are, you know, they kind of have like anti-inflammatories. But for me, you know, like glucosamine tablets, you can add them to dinner time, just break them up. Uh, they turn into like a powdery consistency. They're great, just make sure you have the right amount and dosage for your dog. And it can really make, it can help with dogs that have gait issues at any age, but especially when they're older and you feel like they're slowing down a bit, it can really help them feel more comfortable. If you belong to a breed club, all of those breeders have favorite supplements and they'll tell you what they all of them do. They don't put anything in their dog system that they feel like could be detrimental to their dog's welfare. So you have that to kind of ease your mind on the forefront, but I have to say, you know, some of the best supplements on the market, breeders know about them. Show breeders specifically know about them. So I would definitely go to like a local show or reach out to breeders via your uh, breed club breeders list and see what they feed, see what supplements they offer, see why they went that direction, what problems they've seen, if any. Uh, and then if you personally have gotten your dog from a breeder, then you can always reach out to your breeder as well. Some tips I've offered in previous podcasts, but just because of the topic of the day, I feel like I should bring up one more time. So sound soothers can be great for dogs or radios on when you're absent. I had one client that always left the TV on when she went out because her dog had horrible separation anxiety and for her that worked. In fact, she wasn't even hiring me to fix the separation anxiety. She was hiring me because she got a new puppy that she wanted to start off on the right foot and didn't want, she wanted to head off the issues that had become so problematic with her senior dog. Cause she kind of accepted him as he was um, and had learned workarounds. But with the younger dog, she wanted to make sure that this went well, that she was getting the feedback she needed, that the dog was learning the things he needed to be learning and that he wasn't learning only from the older dog, which was not a good influence. When it comes to grooming, how often you should do general grooming things? Uh, well, it varies from breed to breed when it comes to coat care because different dogs can, you know, some dogs can be brushed once a week, some need it every day. So coat management and coat care could be different based on breed. Like in my case, I'm about to have a new Fondland and that's gonna be everyday care plus grooming visits. And in fact, I'm looking right now into a groomer that can come to the home just so that I don't have to go anywhere. Um, and the dog is comfortable. <laughs> 
So, you know, you have to think, but you know, I've got a French bulldog and he sheds, but he, you know, I can wipe him down, give him baths. I can take care of him all on my own. Um, and he doesn't really need the kind of brushing you would expect, like a rubber brush that works just fine, um, just to keep him comfortable and it gets the oils going in his coat. Regular nail clipping is important. I recommend starting this as soon as you get your dog. I don't care how long you've had your dog, unless you know for sure this is gonna be a problem area or you have a rescue situation. I, I can't emphasize enough how useful it is to get your dog used to you messing with their paws and messing with their nails and clipping in small amounts. If you don't feel comfortable, that's fine, but it can actually be more comfortable for them if they do it at home with you versus going to a grooming facility or the vet doing it. It can be more chaotic that way. If you're sending your dog for grooming anyway though, they're gonna clip the nails. As far as brushing the teeth, so doing regular dental hygiene maintenance is a good idea. Uh, I always go with dog-friendly toothpaste. They come in different flavors. You can get them at, well, you can get them on Amazon. Um, just make sure you read the ingredients like with everything else we've talked about today. Um, but you can get them at local pet stores too, some holistic uh, pet places. And your vet often sells uh, pet toothpaste. I will caution you and say it'll probably be more expensive. It should not require a prescription because it's just dog toothpaste, but some vets will sell it. And <clears throat> it's important to kind of keep up on it. I have one dog who's a lot older and with just age, despite my best efforts, his teeth have decay. But if I'm being completely transparent, I did not take him for regular um, teeth cleanings when he was getting really old because it was like, it was so stressful to, and to put him under, you know, even the vet said, I just don't think this is necessary for him anymore. He's old. You know, once you get over like 12 years old, it gets obscene to put them through that at that age. So with all of that in mind, he doesn't get his teeth cleaned anymore, but he had really nice teeth all up until he was around 12. Now my younger dog has amazing teeth. I always provide the marrow bones I talked about. He has acceptable chew toys. He's got a Kong. Um, we've got a Nyla bone, which for him is okay because he's not a, an obsessive chewer. Um, for some dogs, they can chew through those. So that's why I don't widely recommend them for everybody. But for my dog, who's a passive chewer, he just likes to get the energy out. It's perfect for him. Some of the other things I've mentioned in previous episodes are essential oils. So make sure you've listened to, the past couple of episodes are the ones I've discussed calming techniques. And so check those out because they can be great when you're talking about overall wellness of a dog. Even if your dog doesn't struggle with anxiety, they can just be pleasurable experiences for the dog. So give those a listen. So I have an exciting announcement for anybody that listens to our show, make sure you go to our Facebook page. We have, we're on facebook.com forward slash dog guru podcast. So be sure you like us on Facebook, but we also now have a linked group called dog guru hounds. Join the group because if you want to share material, photos of your dog, stories, questions, comments, 
It's basically a discussion group about all things dog, just like the podcast. It's going to be based around the podcast, an extension of the podcast. And with that in mind, I'm actually going to read a couple of posts we got recently. I won't always do this, but just in the spirit of launching this group. Uh, Paul writes, here's a question that just cropped up last night. My eight month old pupper jumps on my family a lot. She never jumps on me because I completely ignore her when she does it. I don't touch her, say anything to her, look at her, and she's learned that jumping up on me gets no reward whatsoever. The rest of my family, particularly my wife, who's naturally kind of a loud person, <laughs> responds to this behavior by pushing the dog away and shouting at her. I'm trying to tell them that even though they aren't being nice, they are giving the dog attention, which is what she wants. What is the proper response to a dog who jumps on people? Also, this question gives me an excuse to post one of my favorite Far Side cartoons, which you can check out on the group. So I'm going to include a link to the group in the show notes, by the way. And my response was this. There were other responses, though, so you can go ahead and check those out as well. Uh, but mine was this. Ignoring him won't make much of a difference, not long-term. Interrupting the behavior and asking for another that's incompatible, for example, asking a dog to sit or lay down, is incompatible with jumping. That would be the appropriate action to take. Telling them to stop, taking them away, yelling, ignoring, none of that works without an alternative installed. But what he was doing was not incorrect. It's just without offering an alternative behavior for the dog to go on, that's why he's still doing with other people. Not only is he getting a different response from other people, which is contributing it to it, to it just like Paul said, which I agree with, um, but the other thing is, is that he doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing instead. He just knows from one person he doesn't get a reaction, from other people he does. So he might be one of those people that if everybody stopped reacting at all, he might stop altogether. But then when someone else reacts, when they come through like a guest, for example, because there's no alternate behavior installed, he's gonna do the same thing with them. Food for thought. I do wanna mention that Carrie posted in the same group and an amazing article, I just got done reading it, called from PetMD.com. And they talk about why dogs lick and when you need to worry about it. Definitely take a look at it because there are lots of reasons why dogs lick. They can be behavioral, they can be neurological, they can be attention-seeking behaviors. So there's lots of reasons why dogs can lick, but they, this particular article outlines when you should really need to get a vet involved and make sure nothing else is going on. I feel so strongly about you guys reading this particular article that I'm going to include it in the show notes. So definitely take a look through those and click on the link. Like I said, petmd.com and it's in the health science area. It's why dogs lick and when you need to worry. But to circle back, more importantly, if you join the Dog Guru Hounds group, you will get all sorts of articles like this that people are gonna share. I will be sharing material as well. And we can get really interactive and share thoughts, comments, and enjoy the show in a different way. I want to thank all of our listeners who have contributed to the show and who are starting to contribute to the new Dog Guru Hounds group. It's very exciting. I never thought I would have a podcast community discussion group, so that's exciting. Please join. Please engage. I want to be involved with you guys, and I want you guys to be involved with this and share all of your adorable puppies. You can even share videos and photos of them doing naughty things, and then we'll remind you why you love him anyway. <laughs> 
I hope that everybody continues sharing us and subscribing. If you would like to send a buck, the price of a cup of coffee, cost of a dog bone for my dog, you can do so. You'll see the link to PayPal in the show notes. I will be eternally grateful, as would my dog. As far as announcements for the day, I don't have a lot. I just want to say that I'm in the process of trying to schedule a few different guests. So I'm excited about that. And as soon as I have everything solidified, I will be notifying all of you in the discussion group, Dog Guru Hounds on Facebook. That's it for me today, everybody. This has been Victoria, your dog guru. Namaste. You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios.